Hey everyone, welcome to Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast meant to strengthen our personal connections with Jesus Christ, as well as deepen our appreciation for His role in our Heavenly Father's universal plan of salvation. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is here with me. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into uh, let's get into this week's scripture block. All right, hey everybody, welcome back. It's uh, it's John seven through ten this week, and uh, there, we were just saying before we hit record, uh, or well, I guess I've already hit record before <laughs> I clipped it, it off. Um, there's a lot this week, um, and and let's see if maybe we can hit a little bit more than just one thing like we've done the last couple of weeks. But, uh, let's start in John chapter seven. All right, I I just wanted to. Maybe sometimes I think it's beneficial when you're teaching or learning and you're putting a bunch of it together to find common threads mm-hmm. and to find uh, an associated principle or doctrine or idea that laces through a few of these chapters. Yep. And one of them that I would say is that uh, we're really bad at judging. Yeah. And as, as people... You see this coming up, don't you? Again and again and again, that even just in the chapter heading of seven, Jesus's kinsmen believe not. I think mm-hmm. that that phrase right then in John seven blows most people away. But the idea that they're, you're thinking, how could you grow up with Jesus and not believe him? How could you be his neighbor and not believe him? Uh, in John 8, you have the woman taking adultery. Everybody judges that situation incorrectly except for Jesus, mm-hmm. who knows the perfect part to judge it. At the end of that chapter, they try to stone Jesus. Mm-hmm. They judge him incorrectly for who he is again. At 9, they judge the, the poor uh, or the blind man, the blind man. wrong. Uh, in 10, uh, you have uh, some more opportunities for Jesus to testify about how his works are what God has sent him to do and about how he is the good shepherd and how people don't recognize him. They judge him incorrectly for that. And and I just, just that basic idea of how wrongly we judge people, and that could be a quick little uh, attention grabber in a class or something like that. When was there a time you thought you were 100% right and you judged the situation wrong? Mm-hmm. And you can get some silly examples, some serious examples, whatever you want. And um, one of the things I... I uh, was reminded of was uh, Stephen Covey, one of his uh, seven, <coughs> seven habits of highly effective yeah. people is uh, first seek to understand, then to be understood. Mm-hmm. And and just the one thought uh, of that at the end of seven, um, when they're talking to Nicodemus, and earlier they said, it says that, that the son of David needs to come out of Bethlehem, and Jesus is from Nazareth, which is up in Galilee, so therefore he can't be the son of David. And... They didn't know he was born in Bethlehem. Yep. They didn't take the time to just sim- ask that simple question, where are you from? They just assumed you've lived there a long time. You must be from there. But easy assumption because at Jesus' age, he has to be from Nazareth because all of the babies in Bethlehem were killed. Bingo. So in in their defense, which actually underscores your point, that we probably aren't ever as accurate in our judgments as we think we are. Mm-hmm. And, and they even have reasons for the assumptions they've made, but their assumptions are wrong. There's yep. there's something that's happened that they're unaware of. It reminds me of Elder Christopherson's talk on truth that he gave to the to seminaries and institutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in that talk, he said, in order to really know the truth, you have to not only know what really happened, but you also have to know the past and the present and the future where it's going. The, that truth encompasses all of those things, and therefore, as people, we are totally incapable of discerning truth without God's help. And and with that idea, you have all these instances now where it it makes sense, and and I usually bring this idea up about trusting God and and letting Him be the judge, especially here in in 8, when that that sometimes we have questions uh, about people in our lives, people close to us, and when they pass away, we're like, well, what's going to happen to them? Mm-hmm. And I, I take a lot of a lot of comfort in the idea that I don't have to judge them. That the Lord who knows their past, their present, and their future, and their heart, and their intentions, and how they were raised, and every other mm-hmm. consequence, and he's looking at their heart, and he says, I'll take care of it. Because I know exactly what, where they're going and how to treat them individually and yet still maintain standards and like not pass away any of the other things that he said, no, you have to do this to get into heaven. Like it all works out perfectly, but it's because he's the only true judge. Yep. So let him work things out yeah. when, when it turned, when it comes time to like, well, I don't understand how this will work. It, it doesn't matter. We don't have you the don't, same perfect context. You don't context. have to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You that's, trust him. That's the, be- that's the blessing. Yes. Is, you don't understand. Great. And just relax and let somebody else drive, (laughs) right? Yep. Uh, 
as you look at verse at, at chapter seven, um, as I look, you talk about looking for themes, and within this chapter, chapter seven to me is how you get a testimony of Jesus. Um, in fact, it starts con- contextually. It's time of the feast of the tabernacles, which is end of September, beginning of October. Yep, it's right usually. around. Yep. So they're they're building their 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 little booths or Sukkot. their tabernacles. Yeah. Um, and they're going to sit in those for eight days, from Sabbath to Sabbath. And it's this big festival, and Jesus is being sought by the Jews, and so they say, nah, don't go to Jerusalem, go up, and he agrees. He sends his brethren to Jerusalem, and then it says he goes he goes to Jerusalem secretly. And this is one of the three feasts of the year that most Jewish people would come if, down to yep, Jerusalem. This, yep. If you can get this to and Jew- Passover Jerusalem, and, you do. Uh, what is it, unleavened bread? Unleavened, unleavened um, bread, or sheaves of wheat, I should have looked it up before I said it. Anyways, there's three of them that they come for. Tabernacles, Passover, and... Day of Atonement? No, that's not one of the feasts. Anyway, there's a third. It's there. If you know what it is, <laughs> leave a comment down below and, and, uh, and teach us. Um, so Jesus says he's not going to go, and then he goes up secretly. And uh, But there's... And you already mentioned this one, verse 5. Neither did his brethren believe him. So we start out, those that are closest to him, these are his half-brothers and sisters. Um... They don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God. Um, And then down later on, when when you get to Jerusalem, uh, in this chapter, anytime that it says Jews, capital J, we're talking specifically probably Sanhedrin, Pharisees, and Sadducees. And then the people are going to be the Jews, the common people, right? And so it says in verse 12, there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said he's a good man, and others said, nay, he deceiveth the people. And so now you've got not only his brothers, but now also the people are trying to work out, who is this Jesus? Who is this person? Um, and then verse 13 tells you that, kind of gives you an idea of what's going on in Jerusalem. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. So the, the leaders of, of the Jews at this time have made it clear that if you're with him, you're not with us. And, and so people are kind of quietly and on their own trying to figure out who's Jesus and how do we, how do we come to figure out who he really is. Um, Jesus in verse 14 says Jesus went up to the, um, in the midst of the feast. So sometime during that week, Jesus goes up to the temple and he teaches. In verse 15, the Jews marveled saying, how knoweth this man letters having never learned? Jesus answered him and said, my doctrine is not mine, but it is, but that he that his that sent me and then verse 17 if any man will do his will he shall know the doctrine whether it be of god or whether i shall speak of myself he that speaketh of himself shall seeketh his own glory but he that seeketh his glory that sent him the same is true and no unrighteousness is in him and so uh with my students yesterday in in our seminary class i just i brought up french fries and i just threw it out there and said okay who's got the best french fries you will never believe what the answer was McDonald's. Nope. Arby's. Nope. I don't know. KFC. Really? I, huh. I've never had This is K- not a plug for KFC. This is not. <laughs> In fact, I argued with them, and I was like, KFC does not have the best french fries. That's just not possible. And then, after we kind of argued back and forth, I told them, I've actually never had KFC french fries. <laughs> and I haven't. I've never had KFC french fries. And all of a sudden, they they're were mad good. at me. They're not bad. Are they okay? <laughs> yeah, they're pretty good. I may have to go try it. <laughs> so my students are all of a sudden mad at me because they're... I have no business arguing <laughs> about KFC French fries. If I, and you can hear the high school kid, like, just totally frustrated with his teacher who's spent the last two minutes arguing with him about French fries <laughs> he's never had. And then we went to verse 17 and said, well, okay, what does that have to do with tithing? What does that have to do with fasting? What does that have to do with any of the commandments of God? Is that if you haven't tried them, then how, how can you expect a testimony of them? How can you expect to participate in that conversation if you've never really tried it? Um, and Jesus is talking to, to me, this is Jesus talking not just to the Jews and those who are at the temple, but he's also talking back in verse 5 to his brethren and also verse 12 to the people who are, who are in their quiet conversations trying to come to a, a conclusion about who Jesus is. Um, with, with 17, I think this is a great opportunity. I know I've done this in the past that I, I invited students to pick something you want a stronger testimony of mm-hmm. and then do it. Be all in 100% like be 
all in on that commandment, on tithing or prayer or church attendance or preparing for the sacrament and any principle of the gospel that if you want to know it, you have to do it. And, and then to really dig down into that idea of how come, why is it that testimonies and, and conviction comes that way? And we've talked, we've talked in previous weeks about that idea that testimonies don't come from angels. And uh, I, I reread Alma 5 where Alma talks about, he says, I fasted and prayed many days to know these things of myself. And, and if you'll remember, that Alma had talked with angels. Mm-hmm. And he had, had, he had conversed with the Lord and, and had done and experienced miraculous things. But he said, I, his testimony still came the same as everybody else's. I fasted and prayed many days to know these things of myself. And I know that Jesus Christ is God's son. And if we want to know it, well, then pick something. And, and really try the Lord here and say, all right, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to keep doing it until my, my testimony of that can be strengthened or can be deepened. And, and then you can also go the other way with that and, and ask people, when have you done this? Yep. When, have you, when have you tried it, even though you didn't have the firm testimony of it at the beginning, but now you've seen the blessings of it? And now you know for yourself that you can testify that it's true. So, so both sides of that. Yesterday, I had I had my students write down. I said, if I could wave a magic wand and give you a testimony of any aspect of the gospel, what would it be? Any principle of the gospel, any commandment. If you if you wanted a testimony and to know for sure that that is absolutely from God, what would it be? And and some of my students picked actual commandments. One student picked repent. Um, another student talked about fasting. Uh, and then I had a girl who brought up a really interesting doctrine. She said, I really would just, I would like to have a testimony and an understanding of why bad things happen to good people. Hmm. Well, my, the activity was is that once they'd written down the testimony they wanted, they had to write down something they could do to, to deepen it or to, gain it. Yeah, to get that. What, what's the action associated with the testimony? Jesus says, if you want a testimony, go do it. And so we had a really interesting conversation about the young lady's conversation, um, Presley's, Presley's desire to want to, to know why bad things happen to good people, and you know that's that's not a, that's not an easy one to. It's not like tithing. Unpack in forty yeah. minutes. Yeah. So, yeah. so we kind of settle on this idea of you know, like call those who do. Who do you know that are good people that have maintained their testimony through difficult times, and reach out to them and, and ask them why and how. And one of the thoughts that came to my mind. Do you remember the Norbergs? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they were associated with. Uh, he was a the seminary, Brussels. Yeah, he was a seminary yeah, teacher. Yeah, seminary teacher from Dennis, Orem. Yeah. Uh, was a mission president in Africa. And then as a, after his mission president, was serving with his wife over in Brussels. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and was in the airport when the bomb went off. Mm-hmm. And then he had, he had just had this incredibly long recovery from, that, from, the, from the injuries he, he got during that, from that bomb. And I'll never forget, there was a group of seminary teachers that were with him. He was in his, in his chair and his feet were still bandaged, super, just really badly burned. Um, and he's got that Norbert smile that's like, some people have smiles that are bigger than their face. And I don't know how it is, but Dennis, he does. And, uh, and somebody asked him, how do you stay positive? You know, how do you stay, how do you stay positive and, and, and excited and faithful when these kinds of things happen? It, he had some really challenging things happen as a mission president. And his comment has ne- his his comment has just rung in my ears. He said, ah, "People fall out of church for the same reason they fall out of bed. They just don't get far enough in." <laughs> That's so. We had a conversation. I, I shared that with her, and, and then challenged her, and just said, "Go go find some people in your ward or in your family that have gone through hard things and have kept their testimony, and just interview them." And and I think I really believe. For take for example, family history. My mother-in-law got after me a little bit when I was, when my oldest was just getting to that 12, 13, 14 age and was doing family history. And this is the way we did family history. Peyton and I did it this way. Look for the green temples. Like that's why you just, just click the arrows like back, just bounce around, look for green temples. And when you see green temples, hit print, baby. My mother-in-law is just going bonkers. Right. She is this trained genealogist and she's yeah. like, no, you can't. Like, how do you know they're real? How do you know they're accurate? And, and I was like, doesn't matter. And, and to... To be honest, I see where she's coming from, that we need to know that these records are good. But on the other hand, for a 13-year-old, I think sometimes, even though he's not doing it the right way, you know, to its completion, he's doing something. And I believe, you know, you take President Nelson's comment from conference back in 2020, God loves effort. Mm -hmm. Even if the effort is a little bit 
you know, isn't necessarily exactly what others might do. He loves effort. And so if you've chosen a, a topic that is not as easily applicable like tithing or fasting or praying, and you pick something like Presley, or I had a young man who was like, I wish I had a better testimony. I just, a better, a greater faith about the spirit world. Well, let's not get too drastic. Hurry, yeah, hurry let's go. not hurry that. <laughs> yeah. um, there, maybe be a little more creative and don't worry about exactly what you do. I mean, if you can tie it to it a little bit, the effort is what God's going to reward. Yeah. So I, I love that, that idea of it, it makes getting testimonies really quite simple. Yeah. And, and when, he, when he boils it down to that, that idea, that, that makes it, I don't know, seem reasonable mm-hmm. and achievable. And it, it's not complicated. You and I can't control when the angels show up mm-hmm. and come talk to us or when the next miracle is going, going to happen and that I'm going to recognize it. What I can control is what I can do. I love that the Lord is really putting the ball into our court and saying, okay, you want it? Then do it. You want it? Then gain it. And he's not giving you unreasonable things that are so far out there that are impossible to achieve. And, and I, I like that idea. There. And I think it's important so, to point out... We're not controlling the circumstance here. You're going to pay your tithing and pay your tithing, and you may pay your tithing for a long time before that testimony comes. That that testimony that Peter has when you know flesh and blood, but my Father in, in heaven. heaven. Yeah. Uh, it, you may pay it for a while. You're not controlling the timing of that testimony, mm-hmm. but there is something I, that you know. So do it long enough. But like you say, it, it's nice that Heavenly Father is is allowing us to be proactive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, that your faith and your testimony mm-hmm. becomes a choice. Yeah. And that's that's a neat concept that I think sometimes we act like it's all in according to God and the timing is, but not your effort part not of your it. Effort, yep. Yeah. That you are in control of some yeah. of it. And, and it's not that you're earning a testimony or it's not that you're, you know, again, you're not controlling it, but but it's just this idea of this opportunity for me to, to demonstrate my faith by my works. So anything else in seven? I don't think so. Um, We already talked about Nicodemus at the end and the conversations that they're having. Um, Chapter 8. It's made it clear. In fact, one thing that maybe chapter 7 that will lead us into 8 and 9. Jesus points out, you're trying to kill me. In fact, the people are like, who's trying to kill you? You're paranoid. Are are you crazy? Who's trying to kill you? Well, it becomes pretty apparent in the next couple chapters (laughs) that the Jews, the the Pharisees and Sadducees have decided by this point, by John 7, he has to die. And And now we have to find a way. Now we have to find a way to do it. In chapter 8, this is their next plan. Yeah. Right? So um, Jesus is with them. He's um, early in the morning. he's, He's teaching. The scribes and the Pharisees bring to him. Uh, a woman who's caught in adultery. And it's in fact in verse 4, this is the part that it just it boils my blood every time I read it. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. And that verse right there, those that phrase ought to beg a question. How'd you if, know? If she's in if she if she's caught in the very act, the law of Moses doesn't just ask for the woman to be killed. The woman and the man are both supposed to be stoned. If she was caught in the very act, where's the man? Mm-hmm. And why did you why did you just, why did you happen to let him get away? And how did you know where to go? Because most people don't commit adultery in places, in open public Easy places. Easy catch. Yeah. yeah. The, the whole point of this story, and, and we've mentioned it in, this, in the last chapter, they're trying to catch Jesus and yes. get him to do something bad or incorrect or put him in the middle of, of hard questions. And this is one of those moments that as you read through the story, you're like, this is a setup. It's a setup for Jesus. It's a setup for the woman. It's a setup for all of the people who who show up. Jesus is early in the temple, probably to be by himself, and they knew exactly where he was going to be. This is this very much sounds like a prearranged thing happening. Yeah, verse six. They and this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. And and I, I I'm not a, a New Testament scholar and, and of the times back that back then, but it, it's my understanding that. The Romans kind of allowed the Jews to rule themselves, but the one thing they kept from the Jews, the one thing Cap- they wouldn't allow punishment. is capital punishment. Yeah. And so this is one of those experiences where they're trying to pit Jesus against the Romans. Mm-hmm. They're trying to put him in a place where the Roman superpower, this Roman have to come down will come him. down and they will execute him and they'll see him as a threat. Mm-hmm. So I, that's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of, what's what do you call it? It's speculated or that's... 
we're assuming that we're making those assumptions from what from the yeah, yeah infer infer that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> um, I, what do you think? I'm just. What, what do you think of Jesus? Riding response? on the ground. Yeah, I, I love it. First of all, I love it. I love that he's not focused on that. Um, and and by the way, I've heard lots of people say a bunch of different things about it. Can I can I give you one thought that somebody so what, said? Yeah, what do you think he's writing? And I, I think it's really cool. But uh, to get it with the rest of the story, I'm going to finish out a couple verses and then come back to this. Okay. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And some people have said that, well, he's doodling. Uh-huh. He's just like ignoring him, like, yep. you're not really here, you know? <laughs> Another, like, that word wrote, I've, I kind of take that a little bit more literally. I think he's writing stuff down. Yeah. And is he writing down commandments? Is he writing down the law of Moses? I've, I've thought this, because of verse 9, and they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. What if Jesus started writing out their sins? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, all of your friends that you just, it says Stuart, and then hyphen, and then everything that I've done, that I'm doing, that like, whatever, in, in this situation, I'm like, I'm out of there. There is no way I am sticking that out. And then he just goes on, all right, Brian, here you go, yep. and starts going. And so that's that's one of the thoughts that I've, I've heard about that. So writing down commandments or laws, or also writing down their own sins and saying like, all right, this is what you've done. Yeah. Go ahead and throw a rock if this isn't really you. I've wondered, so back in Matthew, remember when we talked about the, the Jews seeking a sign, these Pharisees seeking a sign, mm-hmm. and Jesus says an adulterous generation, and, and Elder McConkie takes that literal. Yeah. He says these men are adulterers, yeah. which makes me wonder if the man— This is the same group. I wonder if the man in this situation is one of them. Oh, yeah. And the reason they knew about it is because sh- they were already in this adulterous relationship, and the man chose to take her and throw her to the wolves. Um, I've wondered if he doesn't just if he's not just not writing that guy's name down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know what you know, <laughs> yeah. you know or um, maybe the names of their mistresses, mm-hmm. and just pointing out that you are guilty of the very yeah. same thing that you are asking her to be stoned for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm one of the things that I'm fascinated with is the fact that it starts with the oldest. Yeah. And I've I've thought about this a little bit. What's your thought with this? I've wondered if I, so. A couple of things. Number one, the older men have more to be, they have more weighing on More life of sin? Yes. And so it's heavier for them. The other thing I've thought is younger men have a tendency to be a little more proud and a little more arrogant. And so I wonder if their pride got them to stick around longer than those that quickly saw, were able to see where it was going and that this was not something they wanted to be a part of. So either one of those options or possibilities. And and just building on that, I've, I've often thought too that the older you get, the more you recognize mortality. Mm-hmm. The more you recognize, like, even just physically, that you're like, I don't heal as fast, and, and I'm more sore after I, yeah. a hard day of work or something like that. And so that idea that they recognize mortality and maybe their own conscious and judgment coming up, forthcoming, that they realize, I have some things I need to change. And so yeah. that would have pricked their hearts. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is important for this verse, I, for this story, and... I mentioned this to you earlier yesterday with my with my faculty with the other guys that I teach with up at Highland. I we were having a conversation about this story, and I said I really believe that it's important to take the right message from this story. I think too many people I've heard use this story as a justification for their sins that that what she did either wasn't that big a deal or forgiveness is something that's simple, it's easy, and it's just it doesn't require much thought on the part of the woman. She hasn't done anything. The woman's not done anything to repent. Think about it. She's been drugged to Jesus. She's been set in the midst of him, but she hasn't been allowed to say anything. Um, and so some people have used it to say, oh, repentance is just not that big a deal. And, and sin, therefore sin is not that big a deal. But um, I wonder if, as we, if we turn our focus to the woman, I wonder if we miss the point of this story. Like, certainly she's a point of it. She's a part of it. But there's there's so much backstory. If we were to really know the truth about her, like, obviously Jesus does and Heavenly Father without question does. You know, how much do we take into account that she was set up? How much of account do you take into, you know, what was her childhood like and, and what led her to this? On the flip side of that, we turn our attention away from the Pharisees way too fast. Mm-hmm. And this idea of Jesus' Jesus's teaching has very little to do with the woman. His, everything he does 
is directed at the Pharisees, and we turn our attention from that way too quick. And and to me, there there is a message here. Um, Elder Renlund has mentioned this uh, this story two times in the last, I think, three years in general conference talks. So two out of six general conference talks, he's mentioned it. Um, Elder Rukdorf has mentioned this. Uh, and it's, it's, and then as they reference it, they don't talk about adultery or fornication or morality. What they're talking about is we need to be nicer to people. That's Elder Rubdorf's uh, application from conference in 2017, I think he said. We need to be nice. We need to be happy. We, we need to not judge other people and we need to be nice. And, and, and he talks about, I think he's the one that talks about being a stone catcher. Mm-hmm. Not just, or maybe that's Elder Renland. The first step is to not throw stones. The second step in becoming like Jesus, and you see Jesus do it here, is he stops the throw, the stones. Be a stone catcher and, and protect those. And, and the lesson here really, I think, is about how we treat other people. Yeah. And just to, for an object lesson of this, this is something I've done before, is I brought in rocks, smallish, smallish size rocks, quarter sized or, or maybe a little bit bigger. Um, just an assortment of like river rocks and I've got a bunch of permanent markers and I put a rock on every student's desk and we read through the story and, and at the end of course is incredible when Jesus looks up and he only sees the woman he's like where's everybody where'd they go and, and not to be too graphic but keep in mind what this woman has just been doing what she probably is clothed in mm-hmm. she's maybe lucky to have grabbed a sheet mm-hmm. to cover her she's in the temple with Jesus with all of that backstory and Jesus very like just puts her at ease like, where's all your, hath no man condemn thee? Helping her understand, I'm not condemning you. Yeah. He understands that she's done something wrong. Mm-hmm. But that final condemnation or this is her final judgment, that's not happening. And and so he says, go and sin no more. So he's still telling her, like, that was a sin. Stop it. Stop. That's that's part of repentance. It's not, that's not the only part. Um, but when I passed out these stones to everybody and we read the story, I said, I want you to write down a verse, a lesson, a story, uh, a phrase from this. And uh, for me, and I did the same thing, I wrote down the first stone. And I, and I gave it to all the students. I said, I want you to carry it around with you everywhere you go for two weeks. In their pocket. Have a rock in your pocket everywhere. And so I'd check in on them every couple of days. And the idea was, don't throw the first one. Keep the first stone. So that's why I wrote the first stone onto mine. Because I, I like wanted that. that idea of, I don't want to be the first guy throwing stones. And if I don't throw them, maybe they won't throw them at me. Yeah. And or maybe it's a different phrase in this story or maybe it's a different principle. But then to have that constant reminder to put your hands in your pocket or to feel like a big lumpy rock in your pocket for a week and be like, I don't I shouldn't be judging people the way that I am. I, I shouldn't be speaking negatively about people the way that I am. I need to be more of a peacemaker there. It would be a, just a pretty simple little object lesson for a family or for a class to be like, have a rock. And then when they come back to class in a couple of days, what would you do? How, how did this help you? What have you been thinking about for a couple of days? That's awesome. So, love it. Um, I'm fascinated with this. I and I've, I don't know that I've ever. I think one of the mistakes we make when we read scriptures is we break it into. You know, first of all, we break it into chapters, and when they were originally written, they weren't in chapters. Mm-hmm. And second of all, we break chapters into stories, and we disconnect them. But these experiences happen, kind of like real life. And Jesus is. There, there's nobody like Jesus in every way but in one way especially his ability to take what's just happened or something that's very common to you like soil and seeds and and take it and bring it into his teaching so we just end with this woman who's been set up and used as an object to and and totally objectified and he he then turns to her and and treats her like a person and sends her on her way and then the very next thing he teaches Verse 12, then spake Jesus again unto them. So all of these people have been there. Jesus is teaching in the temple. The Pharisees show up, interrupt what's going on. The woman takes place, then everybody leaves, and then Jesus turns back to everybody who's just watched this, and he says this, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And I've, I've just wondered what kind of a conversation you might get if you were to ask this question. What does the experience with the woman caught in adultery have to do with Jesus being the light of the world? Why is that where he went next? Now, the answer could be, well, that was just what was next before he got interrupted. But I don't think so. I, J- Jesus is the kind of teacher who's going to take... This is a pretty big deal. It's a huge interruption, and it's an opportunity not to be lost. And I think he's talking something... He's teaching something about 
if you will live, if you'll keep the commandments, if you'll walk in my path, then you'll never, you won't be caught in darkness. You won't be, and, and to this woman's account, this woman, because she was choosing to live the kind of life she did, and I, and, and I don't say that judgmentally, but she was caught in the act. And caught that way because she wasn't living the commandments. If she'd been living the commandments, she could have never been used that way. I talk to my kids all the time about the people you hang around matter. And the kinds of things you do, you teach them. If you live your life in such a way that even when false accusations come, nobody will believe it because you've lived your life that way. But if you've been the kind of shady person that you never know, right? right? And and I just wonder if he's, he's making a promise to the disciples saying, there is a strength that comes from keeping the commandments and there is a protection that comes from walking in the light. The works of darkness can't trip you up when everywhere you go is light. Ditto. I, I, I love that. Uh, do you want to talk anything about the end of eight? Do you want to go to nine, um, ten? I, uh, you got to mention something in the middle of eight. I just love where Jesus says, you're going to die in your sins. I'm going to go where you can't go. And they're like, oh, is he going to die? Is he going to kill himself? Yeah, like, right. you want to talk about projecting your own wishes. Right. And then he says, I, I go my way and you shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, you cannot come. And then the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he saith, whether I go... Like, they have absolutely no clue. Judging incorrectly. Yeah, they this have I, yes. no clue yes. what he's talking about. And he's like, no, if you don't believe me, you will die in your sins. Um, one of the most bold approach, uh, or bold and blunt statements to, to a group of self-righteous, arrogant, religious leaders. Um, and then they kind of, they, they claim this, verse 39, Abraham's our father. And Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Connecting, I think, and it goes back to chapter 7. I do my father's will. I, I, if you want to know if what I'm teaching is true, do I it. I do it's, it. It's, yes. the, it's the dad's will. Mm-hmm. That's how you know I'm from God is because I do what God wants me to. If you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham does. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he says, you, you do the deeds of your father. Then they said, we we're, born, we're not born of fornication. We only have one father. And Jesus is like, nah, you're Satan's children. Um, and then you get the great uh, verse 58, before Abraham was, I am. Maybe maybe the most bold declaration of Jesus' messiahship, of his son, of his connection to the Father, of his connection to, to Jehovah in the Old Testament. And this might have been, verse 59, they took up stones to cast at him. Like they were, it, it, this must have sent the Pharisees into a, mm-hmm. just a fury. And, and that idea, and it says it down in the footnotes, the term I am used here in the Greek is the identical with the Septuagint usage in Exodus 3.14, which identifies Jehovah. Yeah. It's very clear he's identified himself as Jehovah. And, and just taking some time with, um, and digging into that whole story is awesome. You know, the whole, all the verses leading up to it. But even in just 58 where he says, I am. He's referring to his existence, his duration. He's saying that he has no end. It's he's always present. That that idea of of Jesus is he's constant. That there there is no past and there is no future. He always is. Mm-hmm. He's constant. And and to even fill in the blank, this is this is something that that you could do to to help get some testimonies out of family or classes. That what has Jesus been for you lately? What has Jesus been for you today? If you were to fill that in, that. I am, or Jesus is, what? fill in the blank, mm-hmm. and that, how, have them share that he's, he's my hope. Let him go back to verse 12 and testify about how he's light and how he's life. Why, how is Jesus your life? Not was your life, not will be your life, but he is right now where you're at. And, and that, that understanding of that Jesus is, he, he doesn't end and his work isn't finished, and he's always yeah. There because he it's I am and it doesn't make sense in our English when you read it over in Exodus you're like before Abraham was I am like what do you what is it like I don't get I don't, it before like, Abraham I am was that I, am. I was yeah. that should be the yes. statement right and you're like but it's not yeah and it's that I'm always present and that's the that's the hope that comes because of Jesus Christ is that he's constant he is all of that doesn't it remind you a little bit of President Nelson's warning when he was president of the Quorum of the Twelve about misdirecting our faith to the atonement instead of to Jesus. Mm-hmm. He said it's, it's, and I loved how he put it because he didn't say it was wrong or it was incorrect. He said it's doctrinally incomplete mm-hmm. to misdirect our faith or to use shortcut terms 
such as the atonement or the atonement of Christ. Or, and, he, and he just he ended that paragraph by saying, if we do that, we risk misapplying or miscrediting uh, the real giver of the gift. And, and there's this, this lesson in his, in his thoughts that Jesus is active in your life today. Mm-hmm. And, this, and, and even though that sounds grammatically incorrect, I, anybody who's learned another language and has had to learn how to conjugate verbs as an right. adult, and, and especially if you've, if, you know, if you've got fluent in that language, either through a mission service or studies or whatever, when someone misconjugates something, it's, it's almost like fingernails on a chalkboard. You're like, oh, that's not right. <laughs> um, and that's what this sounds like in English. Before Abraham was, I am. And you're like, no, that's not right. But there is. I, and, and I get literally he's tying himself back to Jehovah and saying, the same person that said, I am that I am to Moses, that's me. Mm-hmm. But I think on a, uh, on a, an, applic- an application state, or for, for me personally reading this, there is that great idea of what, what is Christ in my life today? Right now. Today. And, and how is he acting? The fact that Jesus is an active participant in my life today is important to, to acknowledge and recognize. Ditto. Okay, chapter 9? Yeah. Um, so, at the man, beginning? Yeah, let's just I start just, with the man born blind. Yeah, that his, his disciples asked the question, like, who sinned, this guy or yep. his parents, that he was born blind, which then testifies that the Jews believed in some type of pre-earth life. Yes. I mean, that's a, that is implied in the disciples asking the question. That's the only way you can sin mm-hmm. before you were born yes. is if you were alive before you were it, born. Bingo. Yep. So... Jesus says, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Earlier you were telling the story or the example of, of the student in your class who was thinking, I want to know why bad things happen to good people. To me, I'm, I'm not saying this is the only answer. Nope. I am saying this is an answer. And this is one of them. Perhaps we're not all given the same amount of talents, but frankly, it really doesn't matter if you remember the parable. You end up in the same place. If you had five or if you had two, it's what you do with what you're given. And right now where he says... This man didn't sin, and his parents didn't sin, but it's so that I can do miracles. Yeah, so that, that begs the question of fairness. You remember Elder Renlund's talk, the infuriating unfairness? Uh-huh. I, how fair is it that this man had to be born blind and grow to adulthood so that God could work through him? For those of us that were born with our sight and got to do all of the things growing up that, that our sight enabled us to do, from running, from walking, to, to playing with friends, to going on, on hikes, to doing school, to do, you know, all of the things that our site enabled us to do, he missed out on that. And not only that, but we're also learning that this is a pretty critical and judgmental culture. And the fact that Jesus' disciples are asking the questions means that other people in his community have been asking the question as well. His whole life he's been looked at as though he was, a, he was born a sinner. Um, and I just, I wonder about the, the compensation, the compensatory blessings of, of Jesus Christ in the, in the life of someone like this who endured a torment, not because of anything he did, but because God was going to work through him. At the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, it seems infuriatingly unfair to quote Elder Renlund, but at the end of the day, I, you look at how this man handles himself. In, 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 in an extreme, in a, in a situation that actually is going to cause his parents to kind of buckle a little bit. Mm-hmm. But he stands strong. He's got these, he, he's, he carries out his, his mission yeah. extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the end is what matters. Yeah, frankly. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it's, it's not the score at the end of the first quarter. Nope. It's the score at the end of the fourth quarter. Yep. Or overtime. Yeah. <laughs> that, Otherwise, that's the, idea. the Atlanta Falcons would have yeah. been Super Bowl champions. <laughs> that's right. And, right? Um, as you look at verse 6. I, I'm so he Jesus says he was born this way so that I could do what I'm about to do. And then verse six, um, he quotes what he said in the previous verse, I'm the light of the world. And then he spits on the ground, makes clay, and anoints the, the, the eyes of the blind man with clay and then says, Go and wash. Um, I'm interested I, I'm fascinated with the fact that in this situation he he spits, makes mud, puts it on the guy's eyes. In other situations he says he just declares yeah he just touches them um other times he has you know with lepers he has them go wash without this why do you think jesus 
heals in different manners in different situations? Why not just always the same? Yeah, I, w at least with one of them where Jesus, uh, I think he touches the guy's tongue and puts his fingers in his ear. Uh -huh. You remember that yep. one, right? And and the guy didn't know what he was doing. The guy can't hear. So if Jesus is like, I'm about to give you your hearing back, he wouldn't have understood uh -huh. that. So when he goes like this and then pulls him out, he'd be like, I'm unplugging your ears. And so I think part of it is he's like, you have something there. You're going to get it out. And yes, he could tell him, like, hey, I don't have to do this. I also think there's uh, some symbolic meaning in 6 and in 7 where he anoints him and then he's going to be washed. He's got both of those two things happening. That He's saying, like, you are not yet like this, but you will be. Mm -hmm. and, and back in the Old Testament times, people were anointed. Like, David was anointed to be king way before Long he before was king. He became king. Yep. But it's, you are going to be that. Mm -hmm. This man was anointed with eyesight way before he had eyesight. He had to walk from wherever he's at down to the pool of Siloam. And then to, to say, like, I'm not healed yet, but I will be. There is a huge element of faith that is connected with anointing and being washed that then is saying, I trust that something is going to happen that makes me better than I currently am. Yep. And you think about our own temp our own washing and anointings, that, that those are preparatory. That you're those not things, that yet. You're not yet, but you're Bingo. going to be. Yep, and I think that's an important connection. Um, and I verse uh, verse 11. Can I say one thing about Please. the Pool of Siloam? I just yeah. learned this. Uh, the pool, so I had to write this down. The pool is the lowest place in altitude within the historical city of Jerusalem. Didn't know that. Yep. And so this idea that this man had to then descend to then come back up. And I, I was like, whoa, that is such a cool thing that he sends him to that pool instead of like, I'm sure there was a fountain closer. Uh -huh. I'm sure somebody had a jug of water. Uh-huh. But he sends him to the low point so that he can then make the pilgrimage back. That, okay, you're, and that idea of you're not there yet, but you will be. And it's going to take some work and some effort. And your willingness to make the trip mm -hmm. even though you haven't seen the blessing. Yes. I think that's huge. And verse 11, he says, I went and I washed. It's so simple. Mm -hmm. like, I, I wrote in mine, pretty simple equation. Go do what the Lord says and you'll get what he promised well, that sounds like 717 doesn't it mm -hmm. back to what we talked about yep yeah yeah for sure uh so what happened so there's a couple of reasons that the, the pharisees aren't going to like this first of all it's sabbath a, <laughs> yeah it's this is on the sabbath day and it's just one more example of jesus in their mind kind of just i'm disregarding I'm disregarding, disregarding the law I, I don't know why i'm at a loss for words today i'm just like just out it there. is a but, powerful story um it, I, it just seems like he is totally disregarding or disrespecting the law of Moses, which for the Jews, and, and maybe it has more to do with the fact that he's disrespecting them, um, and they're making this more personal than they need to be. And, and maybe that's a, a signal for those of us in the church that, uh, I mean, as a parent, sometimes I take things a little too personal when my kids do things. The other night, um, I don't think my kids listen to this, so I just <laughs> the other night Chase got in a little bit of trouble. So we've mentioned Chase before on a couple of good things. Let me just point out that he's a teenager. <laughs> he's the other night he got into a little bit of trouble and he hung up on me. And everybody around, where he was at, he was, so he was at my sister's house, and, and everybody there that saw him hang up on me, he just said, bye, and click. And everybody around him said, call your dad back. <laughs> call him back now. Well, he Fix didn't. Fast. <laughs> he didn't call me back. So by the time he got home to Shelly where we're at, he lost his phone for a while. Um, and so, I, anyway, he, as a dad, I took that a little too personal. He didn't, he, he wasn't, he wasn't disrespecting everything I've done for him for the last four years, you know. I, I give you home and, and food and car. He wasn't disrespecting all of that. He was, he was acting like a teenager. And I think sometimes the Jews, one of their issues with Jesus is... They take these these acts, especially the acts on the Sabbath, or, or when they've pointed out to him that he's done something, rather than being like everyone else and, and cowering and obeying, Jesus is like, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I I teach the doctrine of Him who sent me, and it's not you. And you're the and you're the sons of, you're the sons of the devil. And and there's this personalization. This they've they've personalized this so much. I think that's why they're upset. Is this is they're taking this super personal? Um, I think maybe they're coming off. Maybe they believe that they're being offended in the name of God. You know, they're being offended for God um, because really it's the Sabbath day. And if anybody, the Pharisees have no reason to be offended by this. If if God really is upset with it, then let Him fix it. Um, but they go about trying to fix it, and so they find out 
they, they find out that this guy was born. Verse 14, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay upon my eyes and washed, and I do see. Sorry, he put upon my eyes, and I washed, and do see. So then they call this, they have this big trial. And they call these witnesses, and um, was he really blind? And yeah, he's been blind from birth. And then they call in his parents. Well, they kind of even don't think it's the real guy. They're mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's like him. He's he looks me. like him. Yeah, he's faking he, it. It's, it's somebody who's really... his doppelganger. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, kudos to you for using hey, doppelganger. No, I tried. I tried. That's really good. You should get extra points for that. Um, so then they call in his parents. And is this your son? And, and the, it says, these words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had are agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. So this goes back to seven, why people are afraid to talk about Jesus. Therefore, his parents said his parents, he's of age, ask him. They're passing the buck. Mm-hmm. He's old enough. He's an adult. You can, he can answer for himself. And then he, they bring him in and... Um, they question him, and I love this phrase right here where he says, um, I have told you, this is verse 27, he answered them, I have told you already and you did not hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? Like that had to just, just, chafe just, them. just, that just had to irritate <laughs> yeah. them to no end. And so then they revile him and they start saying, you're his disciple, we're Moses' disciple. We know that God spake unto Moses, and now the man is going to turn it on them. And this is the, by their fruits you shall know them. This is also, this goes back to what, um, what's Paul's great, Paul's teacher, um, Gamaliel, mm-hmm. what he's going to say later on. If, look, if, just let it be. Let it run its course. If, if Jesus is of God, there's nothing you can do to stop it. If it's not of God, it will, it'll fizzle out. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the man, the man born blind says, why, where, why here in is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened my eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. And in the JST on verse 32, that's in it, he says, since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind, except he be of God? In other words, the man is looking at them saying, how can you not know where he's from? Right. And there's no Old Testament healings of blindness. Yeah. There's none. This so is the first one. The only, the only answer is he has to be from God. Mm-hmm. And, it, what's, and, and here is this case of the, this uneducated or, you know, probably, probably bar- very basically Minimal. trained in the presence of this is all. It's, it's almost Jesus in, in the temple as a 12 as year old. This is someone who has no business teaching the most educated, religiously educated people in the, in the community, and he's right. Like, he's used their own logic, he's used their own teachings, mm-hmm. their, own, their, their own customs on them and put them in a place where they can't really say anything. Yeah. And so they get mad, verse 34, they answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. And so they, they go back to the fact that you were born blind, therefore sin was associated with you, so we don't have to listen to you. Yeah. Don't you love that Jesus goes and finds him again? I do. At the end of the story, he, Jesus heard that they had cast him out when he had found him. He said to him, do you believe on the Son of God? He says, who is he that I might believe on him? Mm-hmm. And at the end of this story, he said, he said, Lord, I believe. And that should just ring loud and clear back to Matthew or Mark, that account of the, the father who brings his stricken son. He says, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. I love this, this guy's... Uh, his process of gaining his testimony for just as a final thought for me in 11 he says a man that is called jesus in 17 he says he's a prophet um in 33 he says he's of god and then in 38 he says i believe that you are the son of god and you you saw this a little bit with the woman at the well that it's this progression of you're a jew you're sir you're a prophet you're the messiah and the more she interacts with jesus the more she believes and I think that's the same thing for us, that this man has had lots of chances to do before he knows. Mm-hmm. He's healed and doesn't even know what Jesus looks like, but he still believes. And therefore, I mean, you want your eyesight? Go do this. I think that's part of the reason Jesus asks some people to do things and to connect that back to John seven seventeen that you want the progression of testimony you have to put in the work. And I promise it'll come. It's not always an instant thing. 
at least for this man, it's a process. And that is so great. At the end of the story, he says, I believe. And belief's a powerful word, to, yeah. to borrow a phrase from Elder Holland. So I, I love that part of the story. Um, when my oldest was in the MTC, to, to end with that idea of belief, he, he was learning Spanish. He was headed to Bolivia. And he called me one time. It might have been one of the illegal phone calls he made when he wasn't supposed to, but he was stressed out. And, and one of the things that was stressing him out was the instructors, the MTC instructors, were insisting that he use the word saber in Spanish that, that I know. When you, when you testify, you use the word saber. And my son, to his credit, was being honest with where he was at in his testimony. He just said, Dad, there are some things that I don't know for my, that I can't say. I know it's true. And I always had an enormous amount of respect for him being able to make that distinction. And now, luckily, I, having served my mission in the Dominican Republic, I know a form of Spanish. I don't know that it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a type of Spanish. DR. Yeah, it's a Dominican Spanish. Um, but I, uh, I was able to, you know, as we talked him through it, and, and as I, I came to realize what he was worried about was being insincere with his thoughts. He didn't want to say something that wasn't completely true in, in an effort to try and get people to join the church. And so I said, well, what about the word creer? I, I understand that there are some things you can't say that you know are true, but are there some things that you can't say you know you're true, but that you can say you believe they're true? Do you see the difference between those two words? And he was like, yeah, I, way more comfortable with the word believe than I am with I know. And there's a part of me that as you, as you go back to Alma 32, and Alma talks about the, the process of growing that seed and this idea of, you know, there's a point where you know the seed is good because it started to grow, um, but you still haven't tasted the fruit of it yet. Um, but even before the, that seed starts to grow and you know that it's good, there's a belief or even, he says, even if all you can do is desire to believe. Um, if all you can do is want to believe, that's enough. And uh, and, and I, so I'll just I add my testimony here. If all you can do is believe or want to believe, that's enough. That, that's Elder Rukdorf. The Lord will start with you where you're at, and that's sufficient. So, all right, thanks for joining us. We made it through three chapters. Three that's four. More, that's, that's pretty more good. more chapters than we made it through in the last two episodes or our last two podcasts. So, There's lots more in there. Go enjoy it and study it up, and um, we'll see you next time. Well, thanks again for joining us on Take a Second for Come Follow Me. Brother Black and myself want to emphasize that in this episode or any other episode, there's nothing that we've said that is meant to or can in any way be interpreted as the official doctrine or policy or practice of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, Brother Black and myself simply represent two guys that enjoy talking about Scripture and and in our own life experiences as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ and and hope that in sharing some of our thoughts and, and insights, but certainly our personal opinions and nothing more, that uh, maybe it might open up the scriptures a little bit to you. So thanks again for joining us on Take a Second, and we will see you in our next episode.